All right. Welcome to this week's episode of our show, True Data Pod, True Data Ops Podcast. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. Uh, each week, we bring you a podcast covering all things data ops and the people that are making data ops what it is today. My guest today is a recognized data and analytics leader, Snowflake data superhero, and chief mom officer, my friend, Veronica Durgan, who's also currently the VP of data at SACS. Welcome to the show, Veronica. Hey, Ken. So uh, happy to hang out with you every single time. Love it. <laughs> yeah, we got to stop meeting like this. <laughs> I know. Maybe next time in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Since, since we've actually been in the same place at the same time. At the same time, yeah. <laughs> okay, so for um, our our listeners who aren't familiar with your background, and I know it's it's very extensive, could you uh, give them a little bit uh, about you and what you've been doing in the uh, data management space here for the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. So I've spent my entire career in data. Actually, uh, I fell into data. As once I graduated uh, from college, I actually have a, dig a bachelor's degree in biology. I was pre-med in college, I guess, you know, the whole doctor thing didn't work out. Uh, I <laughs> kind of fell into my first role as a junior DBA. I started as a database administrator, loved it, absolutely loved working with data. Like I got it, it clicked. Uh, went to back to college to get master's degree in software engineering. At the time, there was no formal degrees in data. So here we go. This is kind of like where my whole, you know, software development lifecycle, project management, kind of like my first exposure to how software works um, happened. Yeah, and spent my entire career, you know, 20 plus years being, you know, a DBA focused on performance tuning optimization, um, data architect, I led teams, I was a very senior individual contributor. So kind of like my path into leadership was from a technical background which is, you know, you get different leaders, right? Some come from kind of like management and some come from engineering. So I still consider myself an engineer. That's why I kind of laughed, like titles don't matter to me. Um, what, what people do matters. Um, so, yeah. Good. Yeah, I know you've... Uh... You, you've been through uh, a number of, of moves, even even since you and I met uh, a number of years ago. It's been very exciting to to see your progression. And yeah, I'm I'm definitely a fan of uh, engineers and technical people working their way up the management chain because you know a lot of times, yeah, especially with what we do in data, uh, people with a management background don't necessarily get it, right? And it's it's great to have somebody in a leadership position that's that been there done it you know knows the ups and downs and pros and cons uh, so along those lines uh, wanted to ask you you know what are you seeing out there today what do you what do you think's uh, you know hot in our in our space in the data area and you know it, what's hot and you know is, is it just hype you know wh where do you think we're kind of going now Oh my, how many, like, we only have 30 minutes stuck or 25 actually. Um, so <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, everything old is back in vogue again, right? Everything old is new. We, we're talking about, again, data modeling. We're talking about how do we optimize something? How do, how do we get the most out of whatever systems we have? I think, honestly, at the end of the day, and also, I think, I guess, the most important thing, actually delivering value fast. Mm -hmm. So 
the thing is like data moves so fast and people often ask me like, oh, where, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm like, I haven't seen myself here five years ago. As a matter of fact, yeah. I could have never possibly <laughs> even like imagined where we would be. So there's a lot of data being generated every second of every day. Uh, how do we, you know, take extract value from it? So now we're back into like focusing on delivering value fast because we're like, oh, we'll take a look at it six months from now. It's not important. It's not relevant anymore. So a lot of interesting things, I think, um, kind of like because I grew up being the DBA, it was we always focused on getting the most out of the small systems that we had. I think we're back to that. Even though cloud seems unlimited, it's really not. We have a lot of data to crank through. How do we get the most value out of it? Yeah, yeah. So our, the even though the platforms we're working on are at a scale that, yeah, you and I never would have imagined when we started down this path, but the data is now at a similar scale. So even though the systems are bigger, the data is bigger. So it, that, that question still remains, how do you get the most value yeah out of what you have for resources, given the the extent and the growth of the data that we've got out there. So, uh, since you, you have a, an engineering background, I want to get, what's your perspective on, um, on data ops? You know, where, where does that really fit now in this modern data space with, you know, all this data and it coming in, you know, faster than anybody could ever imagine, right? So I've, I've actually, I've been lucky to work with four software companies in the past. And I've seen how efficient the whole like code deployments are, the standard, you know, testing, all of that was automated. It wasn't like that back say 10 years ago in data. We are like, we literally just put everything in production and we kept our fingers crossed that it didn't break anything. The other interesting kind of like, I guess I'll start with differences for us. so. In data, we can deploy code, but it doesn't actually help us test data. So that right. that's such a mind twister. I'm like, dev data means nothing. I can't, I can test my code that, that it's like whatever, it's syntactically fine. Uh, so we actually need an environment where we can deploy something and test it on production data to validate that the data is correct. So to me, that's where like data ops sit. It's not, DevOps, it's not your traditional software development lifecycle, but it takes kind of like the best out of both worlds. And, you know, automation, patterns, standard, once we have that and, and like automated testing, like all of that makes us move faster. We can deliver in small increments. The other thing that I always actually tell my team, when you deploy something that's very small, the blast radius of it breaking something very big is unlikely. So I'm like, don't worry, deploy it, test it. If it doesn't look right, we'll fix it, we'll iterate on it. It's not scary. When we wait for a month, two months, three months to deploy something, now it's concerning, right? Like it's a massive change. What if it breaks something? Then we have to worry about backup plans and all that. Uh, so data ops is like such a natural progression in my mind. Like I honestly, I feel like once any data team reaches certain level of maturity, they should absolutely kind of like start rolling with it and uh, because it'll make them more efficient. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, data ops isn't just DevOps for data, basically, right? It, it may be based on DevOps 
principles to a certain extent, you know, cer certain parts of it. And like you said, your experience seeing it uh, happen in software. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're rolling out new versions of software all the time. Yeah. How do we do that with data? And that is, it is, would, it, would you say a, a mind twist, I think you said? <laughs> 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 yeah, because it is. I, I personal experience. I've had conversation with a software engineer, who's like, "Well, here's your dev test QA. Go with it." I'm like, "But it doesn't actually work for me, uh, because I need to test data. Right, it's not just code that I need to test." Yeah, and I, I know. Yeah, you're you're a snowflake data superhero. Is is one of one of your many titles, and I think that was one of. Um, you know, the, the zero copy clone feature oh. in Snowflake in particular. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, the, it's the thing that really solved that particular problem for, you know, we used to call it data warehousing. I don't know what we call it now. It's, you know, data. We're just, we're just doing a lot of data. It's like, yeah, how do you test, properly test the data if you don't have access to it? And they, I, I know you had the same issues I did. It's like, they would never give you enough storage space to have a copy of production data. And even if they did, it might take weeks or months to get that copy. And then Snowflake comes along with zero copy clone and it's write one command, push a button, and 0.5 seconds later, you've now got yep. a complete access to a, an isolated read-only copy of your data. And it didn't cost you anything. That was the other thing that I know that was a hard thing for me to get my head wrapped around. I don't know, know how it worked for you. It it was, it, I think it's, I mean, I love it. I think Zero Copy Clone is one of the greatest, probably also most underutilized features of Snowflake. And it's like, I think some some people just don't get it and don't appreciate the value. Um, before I forget, massive hello from all the Snowflake data superheroes to you. Oh. Uh, shout out. Uh, I was sharing with them that I'm going to hang out with you today. And they, they said hello. Um, the other thing to push it a step further, uh, there's another concept I'm very intrigued about blue-green deployments. When you run your stage and prod in parallel, you validate and then you swap. So you don't have to actually redeploy because you can swap in Snowflake in a matter of seconds. Oh, that's right. So I, I'm like, I think it requires a certain level of like sophistication maturity of like the whole data ops, like tooling and, and patterns and processes. But then you you deploy in stage, production's running in parallel. Once you validate everything's great, then you just swap. Okay, so when you say stage, you're talking about really QA, right? It, yeah, stage yeah. QA. You, you, yeah, you, so you're, you've tested everything, of, yeah. and it's a full deployment. It's got a full yeah. copy of the data. So instead of like repopulating huh. everything, redeploying everything, you actually just swap. And it's Ooh. like you're, you're, you, you're now to like what, zero downtime deployments, basically? It's like, yeah. it takes, what, a few seconds, if that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that myself, honestly. That's a so yeah, thought go. about how to, you know, in the the data ops uh, platform. You know, it's it's got the code repository and everything's under Git and all this control, and you get the CI/CD sorts of things, and you just pu mm -hmm. push a button. Once it's approved, it just goes and it redeploys everything. But yeah, if you if you were oh. running your your QA basically with all the code. And it's pointing, I'll say, at, at least at the same source data as production yeah. is. Then it would yeah. actually stay in sync automatically. Then, yeah, there is you wouldn't have to do any catch up. You would just swap it yep. and keep going. Yeah. Ah, you just renamed it. I guess the the trick there is whether or not all the connections to it 
um, maintain, right? Is you know all the tools and so it's all it's the, it's the production reports and all that. It's yeah. not trivial by any means, but it's just like it's kind of like that next step, right? Like we we got you know our CI/CD going, we got our DDoS figured out. You know we're taking advantage of zero copy clones. Okay, how do we now make it even better? And making it even better is like you know doing blue green deployment. So so always like ah, interesting, it's a fascinating yeah. topic. I haven't quite figure out how to make it work in production yet but uh well you and, the data super, you and the data superheroes get your put your heads together and and figure that out and write it up for us because that's yeah that, that that's uh really interesting because then that um that's even more reason to do full-blown dev and QA environments using things like zero copy clone mm -hmm. and Snowflake. If you're going to go, well, yeah, and then we're just going to swap it when we're done and and basically go go live instantaneously, yeah. as it were, which is, of course, what everybody wants. Like I said, it's all about delivering value and how fast can we deliver that value. Right. And I think that's where, you know, one of the things I like about the the concepts within true data ops you know there's the what we've been talking about is uh, one of the pillars called environment management mm -hmm. but also what you mentioned about keeping things small you know componentize it's not nearly as scary or as risky to deploy something that's that's small that you know you've done in a couple of days especially if you throw in then you know the pillar of automated regression testing right. you put all that together and our overall risk profile is much lower right. and our ability to deliver value is faster right and feedback loop right like that that's a big deal too yeah. uh the sooner you Monitoring deliver that, something yeah. the sooner like you know you monitor you do you you know, basic testing, that's great. But the sooner you actually enable your business users to start looking at whatever you deliver, the quicker they can give you feedback. Because it's like, as engineers, right? Like, sure, we do our best. There's automated testing, it's amazing. But ultimately, person who is familiar the most with the data needs to look at that data. Because there's some, like, I can't, I will never claim that I know everything about every business I work for. I work for various different industries and there's, I will never know everything enough, nor, I mean, like, it's not my kind of like area of expertise. So I want for, for our business users, I want to rely on them as much as possible as well to give us that feedback so we, we can iterate quicker. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you talked about uh, the sophistication of an organization, perhaps, and trying to take this particular approach. Do you have any any tips or observations from your last couple of years here that would help an organization improve their maturity in their in the data management practice in their company? What kind of things uh, work, and, and what do you think people need to do? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think kind of like something that I struggle with daily, honestly, personally as well, is build versus buy. Uh, we we love as engineers to build, including me, but to deliver value faster, quicker, and actually ultimately cheaper because total cost of ownership, we should consider looking into buying. It'll keep the team smaller, but also focused on actually truly delivering business value. There, there's no glamour in building something that's already been built, honestly. Um, but it, like, so this is, I think, been kind of like the biggest challenge for me in the past, both as an individual contributor, senior engineer, because I want to build like, like everybody else and also as a lead 
how do I ensure that my team focuses on things that are truly valuable to the company? And where do we step in and build versus where do we look outside to buy? Um, plenty of tools out there these days. Um, some are more mature than others. I know it's like a never ending argument of what to yeah. use and when, but yeah. Well, and there, there's a couple of things there too, is one is, you know, do you, are you a software company and do you want to be a software company? Because once you start doing the build, yep. you, you're now into lifecycle management. Now you're into DevOps, right? On the software side mm -hmm. yourself. And, you know, some of the companies have been at the past use, were, were software companies. Sachs is not a software company. We're certainly not a software company. I mean, we are, we are in tech like everybody else. We're our data company, you know, and I think it, like I've said it before too, and many people said it, I think at this point, every company is a data company. Right. Um, but again, our focus is not to build software necessarily, unless we have to. It's something very specific to SACS that'll give us competitive advantage. Then we'll absolutely look into building. Actually, was it Capital One? They built something with Snowflake to optimize, and now it's they're selling software. So there's right, yes, yes. Now they're actually selling it. Yes. Yeah, and now they're selling it. So there, there is a way. Like, so it's 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 that it depends situation, right? Like you truly have to focus on what delivers value for your company first, mm -hmm. and then you make a decision whether it's actually building something, custom and potentially you know utilizing whichever way, or going out and buying something. Yeah, part of the, I think, calculation of value that uh, folks miss a lot is the total cost of ownership. Yeah. And when you get into that buy versus build, I know in years past, you know, I've worked with a lot of automation companies over the years, and uh, especially in our favorite space, Data Vault, um, they, that people look at the cost and go, oh my gosh, it's how much per, per developer? Uh, we, we can certainly build that cheaper. And I have to ask the question, it's like, can you? Yeah. Really? If if your if your engineers are building something that's already been built by a commercial company, how much does that actually cost your company in time and resources mm -hmm. to build it? And if you're not a software company and you haven't been doing this sort of thing, a lot of times they miss the well. Who's going to maintain it afterwards? That, right? that, what's, that's, what's that cost? Where, what's the cost there? Yeah, that that's always there, and it's we we love to focus like as we look at the tooling, right? We have every company at this point has more than one software. And we're like, we're just focusing on this piece, like, oh, it's expensive. Uh, and I'm like, okay, let's look how much cost us a year. Okay, is, is it okay, it's one engineer, can one engineer maintain, you know, make sure it's operational, never go on vacation, and add additional features versus this entire company that's just dedicated fully to this, you, like, there's no way, and, and I've honestly, I've kind of like lived through that, through that build, and then we're like, oh, we're missing this feature, we really need it, and the team's like, well, yeah, cool, you're at the bottom of our backlog. It'll just get done, I don't know, yeah. in the next decade. Um, so it, it was like, I'm like, but this commercial tool out there it is already like, it's half an engineering cost a year, and it already has everything. So how do I, like, Explain to me why we're still building it, I guess, was my question at that point. Yeah, it was funny. Very early on, one of the very first data for breakfast I did for Snowflake, which was, I don't know, maybe five years ago, I think there was like 12 people 
showed up and several of them were snowflake wraps, right? And, and one of the engineers in the audience, when I was explaining, you know, the separation of compute from storage, because this was all new, right? Brand new stuff. And he looks at me, he goes, well, why do I need to buy Snowflake? I can build that myself. And I was just like, okay, go, go for it. Yeah. And, and that was when, you know, Snowflake was maybe, you know, a couple hundred people maybe at that point. And, you know, maybe, maybe there was 50 engineers at Snowflake, but that was still, that was 50 engineers at that point that are building and maintaining and managing Snowflake. And this guy thought, oh, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to use open source and I'm going to use, you know, some cloud resources and things. And I, I can totally build what Snowflake has done and, and manage it myself. And afterwards, when we were done, I asked him, I said, so great. Who's going to maintain and manage that for your customer when you retire? And you're like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> and the other thing, like, like we, it, it's kind of like anecdotally, and it's it's sad that I have to say it, but when there is an outage in AWS, right? Everybody pings AWS, and we just sit back and yell at our AWS reps, right? We're like, oh, is it not up? Yeah. Now imagine it's your team with one person on it, like. Would you not rather like have an entire actually team and the, the company, you know, SLA has SLAs and there's like all these things in place? Like I'd rather sit and yell at somebody else than be the one being up, you know, 48 hours trying to fix something. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. this like additional benefit of buying. Like I as I as I got older and I don't know, Kent, if you're feeling that, I, I'm less of build. Like if I'm gonna build, I want it to be like super special. I don't wanna reinvent the wheel i just it doesn't excite me right and, and i think that's in part why i like things like the uh, true data ops and data vault that have some principles and architectures and patterns and all of these things that are there that somebody in you know this case you know the, the data ops guys and in case data vault dan lindstedt and a bunch of others have thought through this and they they've taken the hard knocks over a couple of decades to figure out what's the right way to do it it's like don't need to go invent a new data modeling technique, right? Because we're in the cloud, which people used to ask me that all the time when I first started Snowflake. So how do we model data for the cloud? They're like, what? <laughs> Why do you think that that's different? Right. <laughs> because it's in the cloud, therefore the modeling would be different. But you, you, you get that. It's like, you know, why would you want to invent something new um, when you know, these patterns already exist. They're already there. And you said they're proven. So just follow that, but then focus on actually getting more data modeled so that you can unlock the value of that, you know, dark data, yes. right? Like we have a ton of data. Dark data. Don't, <laughs> like don't, don't reinvent the wheel where there's a perfectly round wheel already available, but actually focus on getting more data, understanding all the data company has how can you take advantage how, how can you move it faster right like that's a big kind of like issue like from the time the data is generated wherever it's generated how do you put it in front of somebody who can actually make decisions based on that data um, one of my favorite phrases uh one of the senior leadership members mentioned passing i love it data in your face he's like i want data in my face and i'm like <laughs> Yes. So to me, it means a lot. It means this data is understandable. It's readily available and easily accessible. 
it's not data at your fingertips where you have to look for it. Like, no, he wants it like in his face. So I'm like, challenge accepted. We're going to go with data in your face. So. Data in your face. Okay. That's, that, that's good. Yeah. Cause, because really until they have access to it and can see the data, it has, it, it, it can't deliver the value. Right. right? So it's sitting it's somewhere invisible. like who knows exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, you can have this, uh, you know, this massive data lake with, petabytes of data in it but if nobody can actually get to it or visualize it or do something with it then you know what's what's the value it's you know maybe it has a future value but it doesn't have any present right. value to the organization or the, the the folks in it in the organization trying to do their work so people processes and technology which which do you think is the biggest barrier to success these days and you know which one on Converse is the best enabler for success? Oh, people process and technology. Um, I think technology is at this point we have so many options is pretty easy to solve. You can make some wrong choices, but then again, you know, as long as you have money, you can then pay and make right choices. People and processes, I think, is probably the most challenging because to me, that's around soft skills, right? We have to work well together. We have to build the right team. We have to build the right culture. We have to put the right processes in place. And processes can get you like, you can get so bureaucratic in your processes, whether it's automated or not, that it, it's, it, it'll prevent you from delivering fast, right? So there's like one of the greatest, the other kind of like thing that kind of is in my mind. So data democracy versus following all the legal compliances. How do we secure our data while also give access to everybody? Like there's that kind of like, and, and I know some companies lean one way versus the other way. Um, I think it's everything. I'm going to give you that it depends answer. I think on, depending on yeah. the maturity and size of the company and the data team for smaller kind of like startup technology will probably get from like, like, you know, like one of the small startups I worked for, you know, I brought in five trends, Snowflake, they had, uh, what's that AWS um, something site and like, they could start reporting on data very fast, right? So technology unlock the value quicker in that case. But as you get more mature, now you have this mess of like business rules are not really documented. So you need to add sophistication. So you need to bring people that are focused on specific areas, you know, wherever your gaps are. And then you have to put process in place like data ops, right? To make sure it's repeatable, it's standard, it's documented, it's agile, like all of these things. So probably depending on the maturity stage uh, of your company and team. Yeah. So um, do you think it's possible for an organization to really deliver value at scale if they haven't adopted something like agile and data ops and, and gotten that, I'll say mindset really? At scale? No, I don't think so. I don't think you can deliver anything at scale. If you, if you don't start putting some processing and standardization in place or hire like or you can hire 200 people, I guess. But even still, people will just kind of trip over each other, basically. Right, yeah. If you don't have the right processes in place, yeah, yeah you could have 200 people, but will, will it be successful? That's, I guess that's the, the challenge, is right? getting everybody on the same page 
you know, whether it's whether it's doing data vault and data vault methodology, adopting right. a, a true data ops approach or a data mesh approach or whatever it is, or a combination of all of the above as an organization, you've got to have, I guess, be at least at that level of maturity that you've got a handle on that before you throw a whole bunch of bodies at it. Exactly. Absolutely. hundred percent. Even like defining a business concept, right? You, if you throw five people at it, talking to five different people, then how many definitions will you come up with? 25, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, fi final question for you, um, and I, I might know the answer to this, but I'm not sure. Um, if you weren't doing data, what would you do? Oh my gosh, I actually absolutely love data. I do it as a hobby. So it's like there's, you know, I have a full-time job and then when, you know, time is over for that, I, I do all, all of these events and speaks. I'll probably still do data in some shape or another. Um, yeah, I'm kind of boring that way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think I was going to say? I don't know. Build Legos. I was because you, you talk about <laughs> like, Legos all the time in your in your uh, superheroes. No, I'll continue putting superheroes demos, data vault, superheroes uh, with Snowflake. I'll probably spend a little more time to actually, you know, use a tool and automate it a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, uh, this has been great, Veronica. Um, as we, we knew, you know, 30 minutes would be really too short because you and I can, we've talked for hours offline without <laughs> even doing any of this. So, uh, it's been great having you on today. So thank thank you for joining us. Um, and, you know, thanks to everyone else who's who's listening in live on the podcast today or listening to the recording. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to like it and follow us on social media and and tell all your friends so that they don't they don't miss anything. And of course, these are all recorded. So you can point them to to this episode after you've listened to it. You can send it off to them and say, hey, you got you got to hear this. Um, but be sure to join us uh, next time. My guest is going to be Paul Rankin, who is the head of data platforms at Roche Diagnostics. Um, really looking forward to catching up with Paul and discussing how Roche is using data ops, data vault, and Snowflake to build an enterprise data mesh. Could I have said any more buzzwords in that one sentence, right? Um, this is an episode you're not going to want to miss. Uh, Paul, Paul's a, a great guy, and he has a, a, an excellent story. So um, until next time, this is Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior, signing off. Have a great rest of the week, and see you on the show next time. Bye, everybody.